Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Leverins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. <laughs> on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Friday, January 12, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to a brand new hour of Morning Air. Happy Friday. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thank you so much for making us a part of your morning wherever you may be across America and beyond. Listening to us here this morning on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. I have a question for you here at the start of this hour. How's your marriage going? Do you have any questions or need advice? If you do, you've come to the right place. Join us for the debut of Marriage Unhindered with Morning Air contributor Doug Hinder. That's tomorrow, Saturday. Doug is a licensed marriage and family therapist with 42-plus years of marriage and family experience of his own. Marriage Unhindered live tomorrow, Saturday at 11 a.m., Central here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. We're also uh, really excited uh, to have the Dave Duran Show back on Relevant Radio. Dave is focused on helping people integrate their uh, Catholic faith into their career, drawing from decades of building and leading companies. Morning Air contributor Dave Duran will share some practical tips to increase personal results and leadership skills. So uh, tune in to the Dave Duran Show uh, tomorrow and every Saturday at 1 p.m. Central here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. As uh, I always take a, a brief moment uh, on Fridays uh, so that we never forget the sacred heart of Jesus. We always uh, try to ponder and meditate on the sacred heart of Jesus, as well as the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ, something that we try to do every single Friday. want to bring in uh, Glenn and Sarah once again. Hey, Glenn, uh, the weather continues uh, to dominate uh, the headlines here this hour. What is the latest uh, on this Friday morning? You know, it sure does, John, but picture this at the end of today. Every chair in the house draped with wet jackets and snow pants, hats and gloves. It's the end of a snow day. Snow day for many today means fun for the kids, maybe shoveling for the adults, maybe a tough slog when it comes to a commute. Uh, the Midwest in for a lot of snow over the next couple of days here. A lot of cold weather for much of the country. Thunderstorms uh, once again to the uh, south and southeast of the country. The Weather Channel has more for us. Blizzard warnings now in effect for parts of the Midwest, and that is because winds will be a big element of this storm that we'll see all weekend long. And blowing and drifting snow with visibility down to zero is certainly on the table for parts of the Midwest. This storm will move away by Sunday, five to eight inches likely on the table for Chicago, three to five in Minneapolis and parts of the UP of Michigan. Well, you could be looking at over a foot. So with this latest winter storm, we're going to have a chance for severe weather down in parts of the south, really anywhere from the Texarkana region all the way through the Tennessee Valley and into the southeast. Tornado threat, the threat for damaging wind, even could see some hail overnight as well. Glenn, uh, get your boots and galoshes ready because uh, this is the real deal. This sounds like it's going to be uh, quite a storm hitting a huge portion of, of our country. 
Boots yeah, and galoshes, though. Boots and galoshes. Well, okay. for the kids who don't like, they don't even know what a galosh is. That's that's why I'm confused because they, they are very similar. So, yes, okay. You know, well, the kids galoshes for those boots. in the South and boots for there those you go. in the okay, yeah. South. Okay, just clarify. Never mind. Go ahead, Glenn. <laughs> I'm going to do, do like uh, the folks at Valley Forge with George Washington, just have my feet wrapped up with uh, strips of cloth and try to survive that way. But, uh, boy, speaking of, uh, you know, tough clothing, though, and weather like this, uh, really our hearts got to go out for the homeless and people uh, dealing with uh, weather like this, having to be out in it. Even if, you know, you're well-dressed, but you have to work outside or wait for public transportation, not as fun as the kids having a, a snow day. But uh, lots of snow for the Midwest, and again, a lot of uh, severe uh, thunderstorm-type weather for uh, parts to the south and southeast as well. Uh, it took a while for snow to arrive in many parts of uh, the country that normally get snow in the wintertime, but uh, I-, I wasn't really worried that we'd uh, we'd get our share eventually, and, and this this weekend is it. No doubt, uh, and uh, it's super important to uh, listen to your local uh, weather reports uh, f- for the latest because it can change on the dime. Uh, and also keep in mind with these bone-chilling temperatures that are expected uh, later today and this weekend, you got to dress properly because you can literally, you know, you can uh, freeze, uh, you can get uh, frostbite is what I'm trying to say, uh, you know, in a matter of minutes if you're not properly dressed. Yeah, that's right. And also, as far as those winter driving skills, you've done this before. Just remember what it's, uh, what it's like. Go a little slower and anticipate the, the bad driving from those around you. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of bad drivers. I might be one of them. So watch out if you see me driving. <laughs> Just, you know, give yourself plenty of space. You know, you're supposed to have those three seconds of space between you and the driver before I've heard multiple times from uh, going to those driving classes. So just make sure you're, you give yourself all that space and uh, just ready to to stop and know that it's going to take a lot longer to stop than you're used to on uh, your normal commute. So I think as long as we're prepared, you got this, guys. You can do it. All right. And Glenn, uh, the, the other big uh, story in the news this morning, uh, U.S.-British uh, militaries launched massive retaliatory uh, strike against Iranian-backed uh, Houthis uh, in Yemen. What is the latest? Well, the Houthi rebels in Yemen have been uh, launching drones and missiles into shipping lanes in the Red Sea for uh, a couple months now. And uh, the U.S., uh, along with allies, have been knocking those out of the sky. But a very dangerous situation for, for shipping there, uh, causing many to pause their transit routes or go all the way around the uh, the Horn of Africa, uh, the, the southern tip of Africa, we should say, that takes a, a lot longer to get supplies uh, to, to Europe, as well as the lives endangered there. And so the U.S. Uh, and Britain and others have, uh, have fought back, hitting at some of the bases where some of these missiles are launched from. And so we'll see what happens next. Some see this as another escalation of uh, things already hot between Israel, Hamas, Hezbollah, and more in the Middle East. Uh, Glenn, uh, we're coming up on the weekend, so uh, let's talk a, a little uh, football. Are you ready for the 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 uh, big games this weekend? Well, you know, it's it's a lot more relaxing if quote your team is not involved. I think you know, so <laughs> you know, it's it's someone else's problem now. But uh, yeah, with the weather as it is, there'll probably be a little football on in the house. Well, uh, New England Patriot fans uh, might be a little bit sad because uh, the Patriots and Bill Belichick uh, parted ways uh, yesterday. Belichick saying uh, in a Thursday press conference that he is moving on from the pr- franchise that he spent twenty four seasons with. For me, this is a day of, um, you know, gratitude and celebration. Start with Robert and his family. Um, it's great. So much thanks for the opportunity to, to be a coach here for 24 years. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity. Um, received tremendous support. 
Uh, we had a vision of you know building a winner, building a championship football team here, and uh, that's exceeded exceeded my my wildest dreams um, and expectations. Uh, the amount of success that we were able to achieve together, um, you know, through a lot of hard work and you know contributions of so many people. Um, so I'm very proud of that, and and um, I always have those those great memories. I'll carry with those those with me the rest of my life. That was an emotional Bill Belichick. The 71-year-old Belichick leaves New England with 333 career victories, including the playoffs, ranking second all-time behind Don Shula with his 347. His six Super Bowl wins are the most for a head coach in NFL history, uh, Glenn. So it really is uh, the end of an era with Belichick. And uh, keep in mind, it happened just a day after Nick Saban uh, stepped away and retired uh, from Alabama. So two of the all-time greats, one in college football, uh, one in the NFL. Although I'm sure we are going to see that famous hoodie on the sidelines with uh, another team uh, coming up next season. Yeah, a lot of openings in the NFL, uh, swapping out coaches in uh, in Seattle, in Los Angeles, Atlanta, and more. And uh, yeah, you seem to think that he'll He's going to go for that record, uh, Shula's record, and he'll land somewhere. Huh? Yes, there's no doubt, uh, and it will be strange to see him in a different uh, in a different uniform. Meanwhile, on the college side, uh, there is uh, jubilation in the air uh, in Michigan, uh, in Ann Arbor. There's going to be a, a big uh, parade uh, tomorrow afternoon for the Michigan Wolverines, uh, the college football national champions and uh, it's it should be a, a lot of fun uh, for Jim Harbaugh JJ McCarthy and a company uh, as they uh, enjoy uh, the the fruits of their 15 and 0 championship uh, as season uh, winning the uh, national championship earlier this week over over Washington Glenn and then they're they're having a big party at Chrysler Arena right next door to the big house later in the evening Oh, I bet if it weren't for the snow, John, you'd be driving up there trying to hop on one of those floats, huh? Oh, my goodness. You know something? <laughs> I wish I could be there. It's it's going to be quite a, a party. Uh, and, uh, you know, again, kudos uh, to all uh, the Wolverine uh, fans out there, and especially those listening to us uh, in our Michigan relevant radio stations. Uh, as always, uh, thanks, uh, Glenn and Sarah. Hey, sure thing, John, and don't forget to tell us about that shirt you're wearing today, too. Oh, my goodness. I, <laughs> Sarah sent you a photo. Yes, I am. I'm wearing a uh, Michigan National Championship um, uh, sweatshirt uh, from the last time that the Wolverines won the championship back in 97. Just a, a little uh, reminder so that I can join in on the uh, on the fun So I, since I can't be. And this really does bring out the little kid in me, Glenn. <laughs> as does uh, every day in some fashion. Love I love it. it. Thanks, as always. All right, first things first. Every hour we always uh, start in prayer, always giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings because every day is a blessing. We always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, and we continue to pray for peace in the world. We continue especially to pray for peace in the Middle East and in Ukraine, peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. 
Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, a patroness of the unborn, and patroness of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio and my hero, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit here on Morning Air when we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the playbook of life is from 1 Corinthians 9, 24 and 25. Do you not know that in a race all the runners compete, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may attain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. The Apostle St. Paul reminds us that the spiritual life is a lot like an athletic competition using the language of sports. Athletes fight and prepare to compete and to win a crown like the Michigan Wolverines who won the college football national championship this past Monday night. But as spiritual athletes for Christ, something that we all can be, our goal is the crown of eternal life, an incorruptible crown with our Lord Jesus Christ, our Blessed Mother Mary, St. Joseph, and all the angels and saints in heaven for all eternity. And so I want to encourage you to run the race of life and run to win with our Lord Jesus Christ. We always pray with great confidence that prayer from the chaplet of divine mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a, a short pause when we come back on the other side. A Catholic and pro-life attorney Mary Helen Fiorito will join us to uh, talk about how uh, abortion advocates hide the truth about a baby. Uh, you know, they, they insist that a baby is not a baby, but we know that a baby is a baby. We'll uh, talk about it uh, with Mary. So stay with us as morning air continues on this Friday here on Relevant Radio and the new and improved Relevant Radio app. But the fire is so delightful and since we've no place to go let it Bringing the light of Christ to start your day this is Morning Air And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for tuning in. It is great to be with you on uh, this Friday as uh, we get ready for a long uh, weekend uh, for many of us. Uh, it's uh, always a joy to be with you here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Now, imagine if uh, we lived with the lies and the verbal gymnastics uh, that abortion advocates are saying about babies. Uh, we would be uh, saying things like uh, having a, a uterine contents uh, shower instead of a baby shower. Uh, we would be uh, congratulating people for their so-called the product of their conception instead of congratulating them for their baby. I mean, it sounds like lunacy, uh, just uh, craziness. But yes, in many different ways, abortion advocates are trying to confuse people uh, with language by telling lies and using all kinds of untruthful statements and vocabulary. It really is verbal gymnastics. Listen to the part of this video from Signal Hill, a Canadian pro-life group that uses humor. I mean, this stuff is really funny if you can see the video uh, to convey a powerful truth. <laughs> 
So, is this your first lump of cells? Yeah. Hush, blob of tissue, don't say a word. Mama's gonna The language of abortion is confusing. What are we trying to hide? For more information about your options, visit thesignalhill.com. It is extremely humorous and very well done, but it really does make a point. Joining us live from the Chicago area is Morning Air regular contributor Mary Helen Fiorito uh, with much more on how uh, abortion advocates are desperately hiding the truth that an unborn baby really is a baby. Mary is an attorney, public speaker, and commentator on issues involving Catholic Church teachings, administration, and religious freedom. She also holds the position of the Cardinal Francis George Fellow at both the Ethics and Public Policy Center and the De Nicola Center for Ethics and Culture at the University of Notre Dame. Good morning, Mary. Thanks so much for joining us. It is good to be with you once again. I hope you're nice, safe, and sound indoors with this blizzard coming here in the Chicago area. Oh, thank goodness. I, you know, I'm staring out of my window here and it looks like a snow globe outside. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I, I was, uh, I felt you were talking about how you felt like a kid with, you know, being so excited about the Michigan game. And I had a moment like that myself last night as I kept clicking the refresh button on the school closures, um, <laughs> pr- hoping and praying my daughter's school would be closed. And uh, that didn't happen till about 1030 last night. But we, we finally we got the word. So that, um, that is so funny. My guy, uh, Joseph, uh, was very disappointed because it was 8.30, and he still hadn't heard uh, from his uh, school, Northridge. But uh, yes. eventually, uh, they did uh, send over the message that oh, no I don't school know what today. Took so. so long. I, you know, every, I mean, when the public schools in the, you know, in the general area are starting to close, you know it's going to be bad because they tend not to close for smaller storms. So I, you know, I had a sense that, of course, they would. It was just too dangerous. You know, it really is dangerous to travel. But my my husband, God bless him, went out for about an hour this morning to dig the car out so he could go to Mass. So there you go. There's a committed. So he's there praying for both of us. Well, Mary, I have a softball for you here this morning that I know you're going to yes. hit out of the park because uh, this is so crazy what we're talking about here th- this morning. Uh, you heard that the little spot uh, by Signal Hill uh, videos, uh, our friends, uh, pro-life uh, group up in Canada, they, they use humor, and I mean, it's hilarious when you see it and you know actually see the video, but can you kind of walk us uh, through uh, some of the language that they use? Sure, and, and yeah, thanks for asking, and I know it's, like you said, it's, it's sort of an easy topic in some ways, but it's important to come back to it now and again, because I think it's very easy, you know, especially if you're a person that spends any time on social media, to sort of get caught up in the language of the other side. And, you know, I think if you look through the the long arc of history, whenever there's been, you know, human rights abuses, you, you see that verbal engineering always precedes social engineering. So it's just not possible to abuse an entire class or victimized group of people unless you dehumanize them first, right? So we see this not only with the unborn, but we saw it with the Jews before the Holocaust. We saw it with African-Americans during the time of slavery. We saw it with Native Americans. Um, so it is something that is not only used in the context of abortion. I mean, when when you look, the Supreme Court actually had a decision that referred to African-American people as a subordinate and inferior class of beings. I mean, think about that. Um, you know, it's it's shocking now, of course, to our ears, and as it rightly should be, uh, but that kind of language, the only way you can enslave and, you know, take advantage and abuse people the way African-American s- slaves were, were abused 
used and used is is to dehumanize them via language first. So the language matters, right? And no question about it. Yeah, yeah language so, matters. You know, they say you know elections matter. I think language really makes a huge difference. Right. And so you know, to me, in in one way. I sort of like hearing things like, you know, I was I was just on Twitter yesterday and there's a very well-known uh, Twitter uh, commentator named Jessica Valenti and her byline is, I tweet about abortion every day. And she does. And she has about 300,000 followers. She's, um, you know, very popular on social media. But, you know, she posted a picture yesterday of an empty gestational sack and it looks sort of like a half-cooked egg white and said, this is what an eight-week pregnancy and abortion looks like. I mean, it's a complete lie. It's a, it's a, it's a gestational sac where the embryo's already been removed. It's not a pregnancy and it's not an abortion because there's no baby there. Um, but yet, you know, it, it, it received, last time I checked this morning, it had already received like 9,000 likes on Twitter. You know, this picture, that's a, that's a demonstrable lie. But in, in a way, I'm actually kind of comforted when I see that kind of stuff. And when I hear language like, you know, your your product of conception, it's out of pregnancy, they have to go to that level in order to justify what they're doing, which says to me, just as a lawyer, they don't have a very strong argument, right? I mean, that's one of the first kind of tricks you learn in when you're, you know, learning how to conduct yourself in a courtroom and to do persuasive speech is to, you know, if you can't make an argument on substance, go straight to rhetoric because that's all you have. So you can at least make your rhetoric as persuasive as possible if you have nothing to go with with the facts. And, you know, we have known now for decades and decades and decades that the science is on our side in terms of unborn human life and that human rights are, is on our side. So, the again, the only way they can continue with this, you know, abortion on demand without apology, it's not a human person until it's born, um, the, the only way they can do that is to pretend that it's not a human life. No question about it. Uh, and, uh, you know, th- that little uh, short 30-second um, audio from the video that, that, that we played, uh, you know, really hits at home using a little bit of, of, of humor. Uh, hush, blob of tissue, don't say a word. Mommy is going to give you. Yes. I mean, are you kidding? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I love, you know what I love the, the most about that ad? And I, I, you know, all of it's good. But the end, what are we trying to hide? I, I think that's the most compelling part of that ad that they put together. And to say to people who are, you know, or at least maybe they're kind of what mo- they would call themselves moderately pro-choice or pro-choice with exceptions. If you can't even say what it is, then what is it you're trying to hide? Well, Why can't you just be straight up and say, listen, yes, it's an unborn life. Yes, you know, we suction them apart or dismember them or what have you. But it's, you know, it's still my right. At least, you know, if someone's that straightforward about it, I give them credit at least for their honesty. At least they're not trying to mislead people. Well, you mentioned that science is on our side. Uh, I've heard it said that uh, um, science has caught up to scripture, which clearly uh, says, uh, you know, before I formed you in the womb in, in Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, I knew you. You know, we know what the Word of God says, and yet, you know, now science and the ultrasounds and the 3Ds and the 4Ds, they absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, verify it. Uh, I was wondering, in fact, I mentioned this to, to Sarah uh, before the show, uh, have you ever had a chance chance to go to the Museum of Science and Industry here in Chicago and then see the exhibit they have on fetal development. I have. Yes, I have. And um, it's, you know, that's sort of a staple in Chicago. Everybody at some point in their life goes on a field trip to the Museum of Science and Industry. And they do have that um, 
again, are just a remarkable, and when you think, I think that displays what, it's gotta be 50 years old now, at least. And, um, you know, so even back then, we were looking at this marvel of human life and how it developed. And, you know, um, my doctor always had, you know, the fetal models on display in the waiting room so that, you know, if you were waiting there for your appointment, you could see like where, where you were in terms of how many weeks and what your baby looked like at that stage. And, you know, a little descriptor about what he or she could do at that age and what they could sense. Um, I mean, we just know, you know, like we, we look at viability now, John, is somewhere between 21 and 22 weeks, depending on the hospital that you're born in. And a good NICU can save a baby even at 22 weeks right now. Something, um, something that you know very well with baby yes, Thomas. Yes, with my nephew, Thomas, who was born at 22 weeks, zero days. And he's now six years old. So this wasn't just like very recently, you know. So he, um, you know, and he's one of a number of 22-weekers. And so it's not, it's, you know, it's just remarkable. And then you see fetal surgery, is now done on unborn children as early as 16 weeks into pregnancy. So we can now correct congenital deformities in utero um, as early as 16 weeks. And what's interesting to me about those fetal surgeries and hospitals like Lurie Children's Hospital in Chicago do them, uh, Cleveland Children's, the Cleveland Clinic, which is a world-renowned hospital, uh, their children's hospital do fetal surgeries. In fact, they did the first surgery on a, a baby at 16 weeks. 18 weeks had been the norm for fetal surgery until just last year when Cleveland Clinic did a 16-week baby successfully. And um, they have two separate anesthesia teams, one for the mom and one for the baby. And I know a pediatric anesthesiologist who's assisted at one of these surgeries. And she said, you know, when I am assisting at a surgery, I'm there only for the baby. I'm not monitoring the mom. I'm not there to monitor the mom's pain. I am there only to monitor that unborn child and his or her reaction to any of the, you know, procedures that are being done and to make sure that child is not in any way reacting to any of the stimulus that's being used upon it while, you know, those surgical procedures are happening. So, you know, that that tells you as well, right? We know unborn children feel pain. At least, um, I, I think the most recent science says probably at about 12 weeks and maybe even sooner than that. No doubt. Uh, what a reminder. Uh, that's why we love the mothers and the babies. It's not either or, it's both and. I want to share with you a, a short excerpt uh, from my documentary, uh, The 40 Film, uh, which has been out now 10 years. So th- this is what we were talking about over 10 years ago uh, from uh, the chapter called Is a Fetus Human? Fetuses are definitely not babies. They have the potential to become humans. They will become babies if they go through a nine-month process of growing and developing within a woman's body. It is not a baby. A baby is a fetus that has been born. Uh, We need to maintain medical decisions over our bodies in conjunction with the doctors. I'm not in the business of, you know, guessing or becoming less precise. I'm in the business of science. It's human and it's alive at fertilization. Clearly, it's not just a clump of tissue, but that's just a justification that people use um, to convince themselves that abortion is okay or to convince others. After 18 days, the baby has a heartbeat. A lump of tissue doesn't have a heartbeat. Your reaction, Mary? Oh, well, John, first of all, I can't believe it's been 10 years since that came out. I feel like I just watched it for the first time yesterday. And thank you for all the effort you put into making that wonderful movie. Um, I, you know, 
it's you just I just feel so sorry for for pro-choice people sometimes I really do because again the 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 mental gymnastics they must have to go through on a daily basis to justify what they stand for. You know, you wonder like at night, you know, if they're lying awake in the middle of the night, if they ever think about some of the things that they say. Um, you know, I, I know that sometimes youth doesn't come with uh, maturity and with, you know, uh, a d- more developed intellect, but you, you how stupid that sounds, right? Um, and how anti-science it is and just anti-reality. And so it just... You know, it's it's rather breathtaking, and it it amazes me that abortion advocates were, were able to get away with what they got away with for so long, for five decades, right, for fifty years. And you go back to what the the, the Supreme Court said in Roe: the fetus at the fetus at most represents only the potentiality of life. I mean, we knew that wasn't true, right? I mean, back fifty years ago when Roe was decided, and you have you know, Supreme Court justices making these statements without any kind of evidence or interviews or testimony from neonatologists or OBGYNs or people who actually treat pregnant women, all of them who knew that this was an unborn human life from the moment of conception, that it was a human life. Well, Mary, there's so much more that we could talk about. Uh, you know, those two uh, so- uh, sound bites at the end of that clip, uh, uh, Dr. John Brokowski and Abby Johnson, both formerly uh, were uh, pro-choice. He was a- an abortionist. They both had uh, conversions to the grace of God. So there is hope for everyone. Mary, as always, uh, thanks so much for being with us. I really do appreciate uh, your expertise and perspective. Great to be with you, John, and have a great weekend, everyone. Thanks so much. We need to take a short break. When we come back, you'll hear my conversation with licensed marriage and family therapist Doug Hinder, who will uh, share uh, good reasons why we should be grateful for our spouse's defects. So stay with us. We're headed down the stretch on this Friday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. The very thought of you And I forget to do The little ordinary things That everyone ought to do Relevant Radio app, it's a joy to be with you, our Relevant Radio family. You can always send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. And now let's talk about marriage. How's your marriage going? Do you have any questions or need any advice? Join us for the debut of Marriage Unhindered with Morning Air contributor Doug Hinder. Uh, That is Saturday. Tomorrow, Doug is a licensed marriage and family therapist uh, with 42-plus years of marriage and family experience of his own. Marriage Unhindered live Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. In fact, I recently spoke uh, to Doug Hinder about some of the good reasons why we should be grateful for our spouse's defects. Uh, You can always find Doug at happymarriageforlife.com for much more uh, inspiration. And here's my conversation with Doug Hinder. Thanks uh, so much for uh, being with us. It's a joy to be with you once again. And it was great to see you uh, in the flesh the other day here at our Lincolnshire Relevant Radio Studios. 
It was great to be there. Good to visit with you too, John. And, and uh, on Saturday, we recorded uh, one of my workshops uh, called Marriage Tune-Up that will be available probably mid-January uh, for relevant radio listeners to to check out to help couples tune up their marriage and you know bring it to the next highest level. So it's great, great to work with the team up there. What great folks you've got there. And uh, we're breaking some news because uh, this is all in anticipation of your very own uh, program uh, coming up uh, this January. That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's something I never saw coming. Uh, but yes, starting the second uh, Saturday at 11 a.m., that's the 13th, I will have a one-hour show. And it'll be a call-in show for uh, couples to call in and talk about uh, issues in their marriage or perhaps their neighbor's marriage if they don't want to admit they've got a problem. Uh, but uh, see if we could do some good and help couples, uh, you know, elevate their marriage. So I'm really looking forward to it. It should be really exciting. Well, uh, we're all looking forward, and uh, and I think it is so needed because uh, obviously we, we talk about marriage here with you on a regular yeah. basis, and uh, we, we you can't have enough talk about marriage because marriages are, are, are under attack uh, and uh, everybody could use some direction and some help. Um, Doug, how can we experience happiness even when our spouse does not uh, love us the way that we'd want to be loved? Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, the idea is to actually see our spouse's defects as, as blessings and as opportunities. To, and I think there's three great benefits that we get from the fact that we've married someone who's not perfect. And A, it's an opportunity for us to grow in virtue. B, it's an opportunity for us to practice forgiveness. And C, we start praying more uh, than we might otherwise pray if everything is going perfect. And you know, I was thinking this morning, John, that uh, my wife said, so what are you talking about today? And I said, well, you know, how to love your spouse's defects. And I was thinking she should probably do this segment because she has a lot more opportunity to practice, <laughs> to live with a, a, a defective spouse than I do. So she's oh, got more material. That is so funny. <laughs> yeah. You know what? Hey, I'm sure my wife, Cindy, probably feels the exact same way. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, exactly. it's 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 still it's a, still a beautiful thing uh, to to really just acknowledge that yeah. our spouse's defects uh, can uh, help us grow uh, in yeah. virtue, to help us uh, to grow in sanctity, to be able to forgive better, to be able to maybe even pray better. There's so yeah. many reasons uh, why we should be grateful for our spouse's yeah. defects. The, uh, yeah, exactly, John. I, the, the story's told of the guy who, you know, he's at an adoration chapel and he was praying, but his prayer was all complaints about his wife. You know, he's just listing all of her defects and how miserable and how unhappy he is and yada, yada, yada. And all of a sudden he heard our Lord say, stop, I love your wife. I suffered my passion and my death on a cross to redeem her. In fact, I love her so much that if she were the only person on the face of the earth, I would gladly have suffered all that I suffered to bring her to heaven. Now, there may be times I'm going to ask you to join me in this act of suffering to redeem her soul. And are you willing to do that? Are you willing to climb up here with me and suffer with me to get your wife to heaven? Now, I don't know if that's a true story or not, but I think it's pretty powerful that when we, when we suffer, when things don't go the way we want them to, this is one of the ways we we grow in holiness and we can help redeem our spouse as well. So, so, you know, let's talk about, yeah, the growth in virtue, right? And, um, one of my favorite catechisms was written back in 1890 by a priest by the name of Francis Barago. And, and he says, virtue can only be acquired and increased by dint of struggle and self-conquest. 
So when we're in a position with our spouse and those defects show up, we've got to struggle against ourselves and conquer ourselves and 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 control perhaps our anger or our disappointment. There's this is great fodder for growing in virtue. And I think some of the some of the big ones in marriage is patience, right? So our, our spouse often tests our patience. It's a great opportunity to grow there. We can grow in humility if we have a spouse who perhaps is a little critical from time to time and uh, we grow in tolerance and sacrifice when we put our spouse's needs ahead of ours and detachment for our, from our own desires, what the way we want things to be. You know, we can learn to grow in optimism and peacefulness and, and acceptance of others' defects. So, I mean, and Sparago says that virtue produces in us real happiness both in time and in eternity. So as we grow in virtue, we become happier here and we lock in our place in heaven where we'll be happy for forever. And I think if you have uh, the perspective that uh, it is it is our job to get our spouse to heaven and it's uh, their job to get us to heaven. So it works uh, together and all things work together for those who love God, as St. Paul reminds us. Exactly right. Exactly. Right. My wife has a saying. She says he she never says she she says he who irritates sanctifies. And I'm like, yeah, I'm doing my job. I'm helping you grow in virtue by irritating you. She fails to see the humor in that, but I think it works pretty well. So, but yeah, so virtue, right? If we grow in virtue, uh, everything gets better, right? Family harmony grows as we grow in virtue, right? Our relationships with others grow as we grow in virtue. And so the fact that we're married to someone who's not perfect tests us and helps us to grow in virtue. And it's really a great gift if we look at it from a supernatural perspective. Uh, there is just so much that we can learn uh, from our uh Significant others' uh, defects. Uh, what about learning to forgive? I mean, obviously, this is part of our faith, but to put it into practice in our marriages can be really challenging at times. Sure. And I, I, I think, I don't know that there's any place on the planet where we get more opportunities to practice forgiveness than in marriage. Because, you know, no one, we're not as vulnerable emotionally to anyone else in the world as we are to our spouse, because we've given ourselves completely and totally to our spouse. Plus, we spend more time every day with our spouse. And so there's more opportunities for our spouse's defects or whatever to kind of, you know, irritate us or, or get in the way. And, you know, forgiveness is not optional, John. I, it's it's a commandment. I mean, our Lord was really clear about that. And, you know, in Matthew's gospel, sixth chapter, he says, uh, if you forgive others their transgressions, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your transgressions. That's pretty scary, you know. On the one hand, it's a nice roadmap on how to get into heaven, right? All we need to do is go around forgiving people. Um, on the other hand, if we don't do it, oh man, it's going to be a little bit tougher to get into heaven. And so um, he's pretty clear. You got to practice forgiveness and we get a lot of opportunity to do that in marriage. No doubt about it. It, it is not optional. And just a, a reminder that uh, this verse that you just uh, uh, shared comes right after the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. Yeah. So every time we pray in Our Father, whether we're praying the rosary or in Mass, uh, we are reminded that uh, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And that can include our spouse. Exactly. And, you know, and the converse of that is do not forgive me if I don't forgive others. Right. And I think, you know, I ask people, I mean, how many times have you said to your father in your life, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. And every time we say it, we tell our Lord, 
Yeah, only forgive me to the degree that I forgive others. And so we place a big burden on ourselves uh, every time we say their father. But what a great and glorious thing when in marriage we can uh, uh, forgive our wife or our, our husband. And, you know, and not even certainly when they ask forgiveness, they man, I blew it and I'm really sorry. Will you forgive me? Yes, of course. I will come here. Let me hug you. But even when they don't, don't ask for it sometimes, you know, <laughs> it's like, I still could forgive you and put a smile on my face and move forward. So what a great opportunity we have to grow close to Christ when we practice forgiveness. Doug, I have a little cue card sitting in my studio here uh, with okay. a quote from Father Rocky. It actually comes from a, a coffee mug from a few pledge drives ago that I absolutely love. It says, and these are the words of our beloved Father Rocky, uh, the more you pray, the better things go. Very simple, but it's a great reminder. That includes marriage. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. And, and you know, when things are going well, we tend to forget about God. We just get on with our day. And, but when things are going rough, we have a tendency to want to pray more in times of pain and sadness. And I think any time that our spouse causes us some pain, it's an invitation from God to unite that suffering with, with Christ uh, to grow in virtue and, and then to pray for our spouse and, and uh, whatever that defect is that they might be able to overcome that, uh, that, that defect. And I, you know, I, I, in fact, I got a text message uh, this morning from a couple that I've been working with for a while and the wife's uh, mother is in the hospital and they said, you know, we have to cancel our appointment. Please pray for my mother, which of course I'll do. But I've been meeting with this couple now for months and they not, not once have they asked me to pray for the mother but now they do because there's a, you know, there's an illness here, right? There's something bad going on. And so when things tend to not go well in our marriage, there's a real tendency to pray more. And that's good. The more we pray, the better life gets. And I mean, it can be just a, a, a simple short prayer. It doesn't have to be super long or complicated. It doesn't even have to be structured. It could just be praying together. I know when we first got married, we used to go and, and visit the Blessed Sacrament before we went on dates. We nice. were, we, prayer was very much on our minds, but it's so easy to get you know, caught up in the hustle and bustle of everyday life uh, that you, you can forget to pray. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But we get reminded when something bad happens, you know. It's like, and so, so that's good. So I think you know, uh, overall, listen, you, you cannot avoid the fact that you've married a person with defects. Um, so why not use those defects for spiritual good and to grow closer to Christ and to help us get into heaven, uh, both for us and for our spouse as well. These are wonderful invitations, I think, from our Lord to to find sanctity in the middle of married life. Anne is joining us this morning from Indiana. Good morning, Anne. Welcome to Morning Air. You're on with Doug Hinder. Uh, hi, Doug. Thank you for taking my call. So I just wanted to ask you, is there a point where you just can't forgive anymore because there's a constant barrage of just general meanness, I guess I should say, um, a lack of compassion. Uh, I'm in a very sure. troubled marriage and I, I'm just really yeah. not sure where to go to it. I don't want it to cause me to sin, but I've kind of yeah. had it. No, no, no. Yeah. I understand. I can, I can hear the pain in your voice and it, it's really hard in marriage when there's suffering and the, the guilty spouse doesn't see the damage that they're causing. Maybe they do and they do it anyway. So, I think, is there ever a point where we run out of room to forgive? No, I don't think so. Um, but I, but that doesn't mean you have to keep getting abused as well. You can, 
you can draw boundaries and you can say, listen, I, you know what, I'm a daughter of God and I deserve to be treated better. And if you're not going to treat me better, I'm not going to stay in, in, in the room. I'm going to leave. I'm not going to allow you to, to treat me like this. And I think you could set boundaries that tell your husband how you will and won't be treated. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, if he's not behaving well, there's probably some brokenness in his world as well. And so to be able to forgive him might help him get to a point of forgiveness at some point uh, down the road. Is there at any point, I mean, there is no physical abuse or anything like that, um, but yeah. is there at any point where it's okay to leave the marriage? Well, so that's, you know what, that's more of a... Uh, uh, theological question, and I would encourage you to talk to your parish priest about that. If the if the these are really tough decisions, right? Are, do you have children, Anne? Yeah, I do, but they're all grown. Okay, all right. Uh, but you know, divorce is really really harmful to children. Even adult children have a hard time, you know, if mom and dad divorce, even after they're out on, on their own. Um, so you know what, you've got to pray about it. You've got to get. Talk to a spiritual director, someone who can give you good spiritual guidance on what to do. Um, just realize that God's asking you to suffer a lot right now. Uh, whether you decide to continue in that suffering or not, your call. But use the suffering now for your own for your own sanctity and to pray for your husband's conversion, like Saint Monica did for hers. And that was my recent uh, conversation with Morning Air contributor Doug Hinder, licensed marriage and family therapist who is warming up in the bullpen, getting ready for the big day uh, tomorrow. Don't forget to check out the debut of Marriage Unhindered with Doug Hinder live tomorrow on Saturday at 11 a.m. Central here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. And it'll be uh, every Saturday going forward. Uh, real quick, also, uh, I want to remind you, we are really uh, happy uh, that the Dave Duran Show is also back on Relevant Radio. Dave is focused on helping people integrate their faith life into their career, drawing from decades of building and leading companies. Morning Air contributor Dave Duran will share practical tips to increase personal results and leadership skills. So tune in to the Dave Duran Show, 1 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app uh, that is uh, tomorrow. Hey, Sarah. I uh, stepped out and took a peek out the window, and uh, it looks like a scene out of It's a Wonderful Life. It really is a winter wonderland. Well, we've been hearing from our guests today that it's been pretty wild out there, and even Mary, uh, you know, kind of described it as kind of a snow globe. So, hey, <laughs> it looks pretty, but it's hard to drive in, so just be careful. It uh, reminded me of Merry Christmas, Mr. Potter. <laughs> Well, I'm sure. <laughs> very good, John. <laughs> all right. Get, make, let's all make sure we all get home safely. And now, once again, it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Feet Firmly Planted. It's from Amy Betters Midvet and Love What Matters. I watched as the two students noticed I was walking toward them. They both stealthily slid their math homework under their writing notebooks and pretended to be totally engaged in thinking of their next writing idea. I, of course, was not fooled. I came up behind them, crouched low, and whispered, I want to tell you both something. It's what I would tell my own kids if they were sitting in your seats. It's so important for you to learn to be where your feet are. They looked at me confused, probably partially because they thought they were going to be in trouble and also a little bit because they didn't 
think this crazy teacher was making much sense. Be where your feet are, I repeated. That means if your feet are in writing, then be in writing. Do the work, listen to the teacher, learn writing things, put down words. When you're in math, be in math. Do the problems, ask the questions, do math things. I continued, if your feet are in writing and you're doing math, you're only kind of doing your math and kind of doing your writing. Your attention is split and you can't do your best at anything. Be where your feet are, kiddos, okay? Trust me, it's a whole life lesson. Don't we all need the reminder to be where our feet are? When my feet are at home in my family room, I'm tempted to also be shopping online instead of listening to my kids or talking to my husband. When my feet are in the kitchen making dinner, I'm tempted also to be making lists of things left undone or looking at my phone to see what I'm missing out in the world. When my feet are in the car, I'm running through lists of what I need to still do at work instead of grabbing a few minutes of silence or relaxing music that would let me get ready for the next place my feet will be. When my feet are at work, I'm thinking about all the things I need to do when I get home or trying to use my lunch to get a few more deals from Amazon instead of chatting with a colleague or going for a walk. It's so hard to be where your feet are. Even during special times, the concerts, parades, dinners, celebrations, we can find ourselves wondering about the next thing we need to do or rushing our people on so we can get home to do some other thing that apparently needs doing. But we work best when our brains stay where our feet are. When we live in the moments, right in them, even if they're really hard, even if they're really wonderful, when we are honestly and truly present to the people around us. It's so very hard, but so very life-changing to even try to be where our feet are. It's so worth trying. So let's put all our math homework in our backpacks for homework time and listen carefully and intently in writing class. Let's work really hard at work during the day and then leave that place behind us at night. Let's look into our children's joy-filled eyes when we're baking cookies with them and not try and rush us all through. Let's have dessert together after dinner and read just one more story. Let's stop always thinking about the next thing and the next thing and the next. Let's be where our feet are, my friends. Matthew 6.34 reminds us, Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Powerful scripture. Uh, thanks so much, uh, Glenn. Uh, let's honor our Lord Jesus and our Blessed Mother Mary by praying and watching the Family Rosary Across America with Father Rocky and Maggie, 7 p.m. Central tonight and every night of the week here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. As Father Rocky says, the family that prays together stays together. That'll do it for this Friday, January 12, 2024 edition of Morning Air for Glenn Leverance, producers Sarah Tafoya, Gabby Burke, call screener Young Thomas, our entire Morning Air team. I'm John Morales. Thanks so much for joining us. Let your light shine before all. God bless you. We'll see you in the next edition of Morning Air. Have a great weekend and really be safe during this uh, tough weather. The Patrick Madrid Show is straight ahead.